happy Father's Day. It's good to see you all here with us this morning. Uh, Today we're going to open our Bibles together to the book of Jeremiah in chapter 35. Jeremiah chapter 35, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. And I would actually like to begin with verse 19. As we think about Father's Day, this is sort of an obscure passage about some people that you might not be familiar with that we kind of read over sometimes and gloss over this passage. But it's actually a passage that gives us a great example of the faith of our fathers and what the faith of our fathers uh, can do for us. The Bible says this. It says in verse 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Now this was because these sons of Rechab were obedient to God. They were obedient to their father. Because of their obedience, the Bible said about them, God said about them, it says, Thus saith the Lord, they will not lack a man to stand before me forever. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Here's why. Because if the world needs anything today, it is men who will stand before God. And the only way for men to stand before God is to first understand how to kneel before God. I want you to think with me about the <coughs> excuse me, about the powerfulness of that statement, the powerfulness of that statement. He said to these people that you will never, ever, ever lack a man to stand before God in in your descendants. You know what that means? That means that these sons of Rechab are still alive somewhere today. They probably don't even know their sons of Rechab. They probably don't even know where their heritage is from. But these, these, this, this group of people, because of their obedience of God, obedience to God, still has men today that stand before God. Now, the only way to stand before God is to first understand how to kneel before God, and then we may stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because it is only in his righteousness that we may stand. A man to stand before God. I'm talking about raising men up in our generation, raising men up who will stand with backbone and stand with courage and stand with responsibility and stand with integrity before the God of all heaven. Now that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to be a man who stands before God and to raise men up in our families and grandchildren and children who will stand before God. So what happened that made these men so significant that they would stand before God in this way? It is such a need today. I was just reading this week an article in the news about Petty Officer Third Class Peter Mims. 
Petty officer, Petty officer Third Class Peter Mims is a man who just these last over the last several weeks, what happened to him was is he was on a Navy ship. As he was on this Navy ship, he went missing. They began to search for him. They assumed he went overboard. They couldn't find this man. They assumed since they were out to sea that he went overboard somewhere. And they searched for him for over 50 hours of manpower and pulled out all the stops and pulled out every bit of help they could find. And they searched for him and searched for him and searched for this man. They searched for this man diligently. They spent a lot of money searching for this man. They spent a lot of resources searching for this man man they suspended all of their missions searching for this man only to find a week or two later after they had given up search that this man was hiding down in the engine house Now, we don't know why this man was hiding. Perhaps he was mentally disturbed. Uh, they're re researching that, trying to find out. We don't know why this man was hiding from his responsibility. But I thought to myself, you know what? That's what we're seeing in our society today. We are seeing that take place in our society today. Just like this petty officer was hiding down in the engine house while everybody was searching for him. I'm telling you today that the world around us today is crying out for men who will stand before God. Society today is crying out for men who will be men, not males, but men who will stand before God, who will stand with boldness, who will stand with courage, who will stand with integrity, who will stand and not back up and not shut up and not sit down, but will speak up and be men of integrity and courage. That is what the world is crying out today. And I fear that many men are still hiding. They're still hiding. They're still hiding while the world around us is searching and needing and in desperate situation for godly men of character. So how do we do that? Well, this passage gives us great insight into why God blessed these men. The situation is this. Let me set the stage. The situation is this. In Jeremiah chapter 35, the, the nation of Jerusalem is getting ready to go into captivity. They're getting ready to be just completely destroyed and pummeled and go into captivity. And many of them will be slaughtered and killed. And there's one family that God says, not them. They're part of my remnant. They're not even... They're not even proper Hebrews. These men were not even Hebrews, yet they were men of integrity that God said, not them. They're going to be okay. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to protect this family. Well, why did God protect them? God told Jeremiah to do a strange thing with this family. Look what God told him to do. In, verse, in chapter 35, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites. Speak to them and bring them to the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jehazani, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Abazaniah, his brothers and all his sons and his whole house of the Rechabites. 
And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanai, the son of Iglida, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Manasseh, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. So he brought them into the house of the Lord. He brought these sons of Rechab into the house of the Lord. And he brought them into the prophet's chamber <coughs> in the house of the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said to them this. He said, drink wine. And he set this wine before them in the house of the Lord. And then it says this. It said, but they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, nor sow seed, nor plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine, we all the days of our lives, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build houses to dwell in, nor to have a vineyard. But we have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. The first thing I want you to notice about these men is that they obeyed godly instruction. They simply obeyed Godly instruction. These people, this recab and these people, this, this was not even like their father. When they say father, what they're meaning is their ancestors. This is actually their ancestor who told them to do this. This has been carrying on for generation after generation. This was their custom. This was their way. This was the way they lived. And some godly person, uh, the Jonadab, <coughs> way over here in their history, told them, drink no wine and live this way. And they obeyed their father. Now, now the biggest thing I want you to get and the biggest reason these people were blessed is because they obeyed godly instruction. So my question to you is this, is where do you get godly instruction from? Where do we receive our instruction from? Friend, if we're receiving our instruction from just people randomly around us, if we're receiving our instruction just out of the resources of our own mind, if we're receiving instruction from Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey, if we're receiving instruction from maybe the latest book that we have read, then we are liable to make huge mistakes in raising children, in raising our grandchildren, if we are left to our own resources and left to the own resources of this world if we are to obey godly instruction we must hear from God if we are to obey godly instruction we must listen to the word of God we must know the word of God because I promise you it is in direct conflict to what our society teaches us about how to raise children and about how to raise grandchildren about how to be godly influence on others. Our society today is in direct conflict with that. 
Now, I'm about to go from preaching to meddling. I'm just going to warn you and let you know. Now, this passage is mainly about obedience, but he does deal with the issue of drinking wine, doesn't he? Why in the world would this man give him the instruction, drink no wine, not ever, for all of your generations? Because he understood what many people don't understand today. What many people don't understand today is that drinking alcohol can impair your, your wisdom, it can impair your vision, it can impair your understanding of what to do, it can impair your understanding of how to raise a godly family. And people say, well, wait a minute, brother, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say that you can never drink any alcoholic beverages. No, it doesn't. But it also doesn't say an awful lot of other things that I sure hope you don't do. You know? People say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's legalism, brother. Don't get into legalism. No, 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 it's not. Legalism, what that is, is it's working your way to heaven, and I despise it. And you can't work your way to heaven by being good. You got to know Jesus. What I'm talking about is the instruction that this man gave to his children and his grandchildren for generations to come. And it was the better part of wisdom. It was the better part of wisdom. You say, wait a minute, you can drink without becoming an alcoholic. Maybe you can, but some people can't. Did you know that raising children in your home that never become alcoholics is 100% avoidable if they never take their first drink. Did you know that you becoming an alcoholic is 100% avoidable if you never take your first drink? You know when I had my first drink? I was probably about 14 years old, I guess, somewhere around there. People say, well, it's an acquired taste, and it's something that you really have to learn to like. Not me. First drink I ever had was straight vodka. I loved it. And I loved every drink I ever had after that. By the time I was 20 years old, I was drinking all the time. By the time I was 18, 16, 17 years old, I was drinking in school. <coughs> I was drinking at home. I'd hide it. I'd drink every weekend. There was a time in my life when I was just a young teenager. I almost died of alcohol poisoning, and nobody even knew about it. I look back on it, and I recognize what that was. I watched it take the life of many of my friends. You know what? A lot of folks today say they have liberty. And they say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't affect me that way, brother. I understand and I feel bad for you, but it doesn't affect me that way. And I have liberty to do that because I can take a drink and I can put it down. Well, God bless you. Everybody can't do that. Why are you offending others with your liberty? Let me tell you something about your liberty. Walk with me first. Then I'll hear about your liberty. Walk with me. Walk with me through some of the things I've seen. Walk with me while I talk to a couple who is going through divorce because of alcoholism and how it's affected their family. Walk with me while I talk with a, a child who's now an adult that is, is scarred for life because of an alcoholic father that was abusive to them. Walk with me. Walk with me while I do what I've done, which is bury some precious, godly, teenage children 
who have been killed by a drunk driver, a four-time offender drunk driver, walk with me while I look over their casket and look into the eyes of their parents and grandparents due to alcoholism. Walk with me. Walk with me while I talk to my neighbor in jail, which I've done because he was a man who loved his family and loved his children. He was a young man who had his whole life ahead of him, but he came home drunk one day and killed his infant child by mistake because he was drunk. Walk with me while I look in his eyes in jail and then tell me that your liberty will cause no one else to stumble and I'll say drink all you want. But heaven help you. Should someone see your liberty while you go into the liquor store and buy one drink and it cause them to stumble and it be your fault? Because it's entirely avoidable. See, the sin of gluttony is not nearly as avoidable because a man has to eat or he can't live. You have to eat. Oh, but the sin of drunkenness and alcoholism is entirely avoidable because you don't ever have to take your first drink. It is unnecessary. Unnecessary. I'm going to say one more thing about that and then I'll be done meddling. Don't you dare ever assume that just because you have the liberty and, and, the, and the physical integrity to be able to drink without becoming addicted to that, that your children will have the same thing. And don't you ever assume that your liquor cabinet is locked up because Satan will show them where the keys is. Now I'm done. But this man told them, don't do it. Don't do it. You, your sons, your daughters forever, don't do it. Stay away from it so they might be free from it. So, these men obeyed godly instruction. The next thing I want you to notice about them is that they avoided worldly attachments. The Bible says, they told them, You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these, but all of your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. <coughs> Excuse me. So he, he, he told them to avoid worldly attachments. Now this is not a teaching. This is not teaching us that we can't ever own anything, that we can't ever own a house or build a house or plant a vineyard. What he is simply saying to them is this. He's simply saying to them that the things you own shouldn't own you. Now, the way the Rechabites did that, that's the principle. The way the Rechabites did that is they lived in tents. They never owned anything, and they just lived as nomadic peoples during that time. That's the way they chose to live. That was their custom. But the point is this. Somewhere along in their line, they had someone that, uh, his name was Jonadab, and he knew to teach them not to have too many worldly attachments because he knew the worldly attachments would drag them down. Friend, you can own all of the stuff you want to own. But the moment your stuff begins to own you, you own too much.
We ought to hold on to everything that we have, whether it's houses, cars, lands, people, whatever it is we have, whether it's bank accounts and money, we ought to hold on to it loosely with our fingertips, with open hands, so that God might have free access to anything he wants in our lives. The minute we begin to grip on to the things that we own too tightly, those things begin to own us and the things that we possess begin to possess us and they begin to possess us and control us and, and guide us when it is only the Lord Jesus Christ who should be leading us and guiding us and possessing us. He should be our consuming passion. So he taught them to avoid worldly attachments and called them to be sojourners in the land. Isn't that what we are called to be as Christians? They were sojourners because Jerusalem wasn't their natural home. They were running away from Nebuchadnezzar. But see, we are, we are also sojourners in this land as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to avoid too many worldly attachments because let me tell you something. This world is not our home. This world is not the end. This world is not where we are headed. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there ought to be a longing for something more. There ought to be something inside of you that this world will never be able to content because this is not our home we are sojourners just passing through and praise God that is the case if this was all there is shoot me now but I'm thankful that this isn't all there is that this messed up broken world in which we live is not our home we are just passing through as sojourners so these men obeyed godly instruction. They also lived without worldly attachments. But look what else they did. It says in verse 8, Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days. We, our wives, our sons, our daughters, nor to build houses, build ourselves houses and dwell in them, nor do we have a vineyard or field or seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. See, they also took responsibility for their households. They took responsibility for their households. I don't know about you, but I'm fed up. I'm fed up with men today who feel like they have no, and, and I understand what it is to feel like this. I, I get it, but let me tell you something. It is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God designed us. It's not the way God designed the family, that a man ought to be someone who takes no responsibility over his family and no responsibility over his household and no responsibility over those around him. I've seen many men where it is that we throw up our hands in the air and we say, well, I can't control little Johnny. Little Johnny's seven years old and little Johnny has a mind off in his own. No, he does not. He is seven. That may be true when he's 35, but now he's seven. And it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to raise him in a godly home. 
It's your responsibility to raise that child in a godly home. Friend, I know this is unpopular, and I know many people find it unhelpful, and I know that a lot of folks today in society think, well, I shouldn't, I, I, I should let my, my, my kid make up his own mind or her own mind about whether or not they're going to go to church. Why in the world would you make, let them make up their own mind about that when you don't let them make up their own mind about whether or not they're going to go to school? Which one's more important? That they know math or that they know Jesus? Well, I believe it is important that they know math, but it is vastly more important that they know the eternal saving Jesus Christ. Why would you give them that choice when they're children? Teach them about Christ. You say, well, ultimately they have to make up their own mind. Of course they do. Every person is their own free moral agent. But we will be held accountable as fathers for what we do with them, how we instruct them, how we lead them, how we teach them, how we guide them. And if our children and our grandchildren wind up spending eternity in hell, it ought to be because they have done everything they can to slip through the cracks of what we have provided for them. It ought to be because we have done every single thing we possibly can to set an example of Jesus Christ, to show them Jesus Christ, to live out Jesus Christ, to take them to see Jesus Christ, to get them to know Him and love Him. It ought to be because they have done everything they can to go against the fact that they have been prayed for and 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 loved on 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 but it ought never to be because we have abrogated our responsibility and looked at them and said figure it out on your own whatever you want to do these godly men said this they said we have obeyed we that means they have done it themselves and set the example themselves. We. Our wives. These men also took responsibility for their wives. Leading their wives in a godly way. And saying, not in my household. Our sons not for our sons either. They're going to obey. Or our daughters. They're going to behave too. <laughs> you know, we have this notion in today's society and what society teaches us is that our responsibility as men is to raise families that keep them safe. What good have we done if we have raised children and kept them safe but not helped them to be sanctified? What good have we done if we have raised children that will be healthy but not holy? What good have we done if we have raised children that will be content but not committed? What good have we done if we have raised children that will be successful but not surrendered? 
just at the Southern Baptist Convention this last week, and there was a point that was very moving during the convention this year, and it was during the IMB commissioning of missionaries. During the IMB commissioning of missionaries, we met one of the parents of some of the children being commissioned. Some of these children being commissioned, we didn't get to see their faces. They had them hidden on stage, and they couldn't tell us where they were going in the world, only to a general continent. The majority of them, you could, they couldn't even say their names out loud for fear because of the places they were going were so dangerous and so remote. We met the parents of some of them who were sending these children out. And these parents had been missionaries for 27 years. As I sat down and had coffee with these parents who were sending out their children to countries that would be dangerous. I talked with them and I was impressed by the way the lady said, Well, uh, you know, it's, it, it can be a dangerous place, but it's a great ministry if you don't die of dengue fever. And if you don't die of malaria or a hundred other things that can kill you. They know where they're sending their kids. They've been doing it 27 years. And then I was further impressed by this state convention executive who stood up, and he's the one that prayed over these missionaries as they were sending them out, as we gathered around these missionaries and laid hands on them and prayed over them. And this man led us in prayer, and this man that was leading us in prayer, sending out these, these people to foreign mission fields, his own child died on the mission field when he was sent out. God, help us to not be so concerned with our children if they are, that they be successful instead of that they be surrendered. They need to be surrendered. I know what I see with my own family. My children are all grown now, and, and my son was just offered a job recently that would, that would uh, be a lot better pay, be able to take care of his family, had opportunity for upward mobility, and it was going to be a good chunk of change for him and take really good care of him. And, and he needed another job, and he, he was going to take the He was thinking about that job. He told them, no, I'm not taking it. Why? Because he's afraid it might interfere with his Sundays so that he might be at church. And everything inside of me as a father, I, I wish I could say to you, everything inside of me as a father was saying, you know what, yeah, that's a go, son, that's a great idea. But you know what, everything inside of me was saying, son, that's real good, but you need to take care of things. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. You need to earn some money. Because something inside of us wants our children to be successful, but doesn't always want them to be surrendered. He told them no two or three weeks later. He got offered an opportunity that would never interfere with his Sundays, that would pay him more money, and that would have more upward mobility by a Christian man who runs his business with integrity. And I thought, man, so much better to be surrendered than to be successful. Here's my fear. My fear is that we raise kids today, today's society, to be popular 
and to be passive. But we don't raise them to be persuasive and to be powerful. Powerful influences in the kingdom of God. We need to be raising up champions for Jesus Christ. We need to be raising up champions that will follow Jesus Christ through the fire, that will follow Jesus Christ through anything, that will go and go and go and be a surrendered followers of Jesus Christ, that will make a difference in the world, that will make a difference to those around us. That is the kind of influence we need to have on society, and we need to raise persuasive, powerful followers of Christ. That's what Jonadab did. That's a legacy he left. His children are still standing before God today. See, it says in 18 and 19, we're closing. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, son of Rechab, will not like a man to stand before me forever. What a legacy. What a legacy. Could you leave that kind of legacy? Could you take steps where you are right now with what you're doing to leave that kind of legacy? Maybe you're not a father. Maybe you're a mother. But you can still begin to leave that kind of legacy. Maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you need to mentor someone who doesn't have a parent. Maybe you need to mentor someone who has a parent that's ungodly. But you can leave that kind of legacy. You can leave that kind of impact. You can leave that kind of person behind you that God will honor because of what you have instilled in them living a godly life in front of them. I pray that you will. So that you will never lack a man to stand before God forever. Now, as I said before, the only way to ever stand before God is to first learn how to kneel before God. And until we know how to kneel before our Creator, we will never be able to stand before our Creator because we stand... <coughs> We stand only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We do not stand in our own righteousness. We do not stand in our own power. But we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what he's offering you today. He's offering forgiveness of your sin. He's offering new life in Jesus Christ. He's offering for you not to stand in your own wisdom and your own strength and your own righteousness, 
but to stand and be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ based on what he did for you at the cross. He died on the cross so that you might be clothed in his righteousness so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your issues. When he looks at you, then he sees Jesus Christ because he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to do that today. This is your opportunity to do that. I'm going to have a time of invitation. And what that time means is it's your turn to respond to what you've heard today. And I'm going to ask us to stand to our feet. And as we stand to our feet, if God has dealt with you, I'm going to ask you to come and make a commitment to him today. If you need to change something about the way you're living, that you might follow him more closely. And if you're in here today and you've never trusted him as your Savior, whenever we stand during this time of invitation, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to take an extra step. I'm going to ask you to come here to where I am and say, I want to trust him as my Savior today. I want the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my life today. I want to begin to follow him today. It is never, ever too late to begin to follow Jesus and hear God's salvation. For now there's still time. Today is still the day of salvation. You can come today.